We're in Matthew chapter 15 tonight, so uh, turn there, and we'll pray, we'll get into it. Lord, we love you, and God, we just ask that tonight you would be here in a powerful way, that your word would speak louder and clearer than I can, just as a man, Lord, and that you would teach us, Lord, speak directly to our hearts, give us what we need, which is you. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So tonight, we're going to get into a very interesting text. It's in Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 21. So turn there, and we will get into it. Verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But then he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25, Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And verse 26, He answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. We can stop there and just ask the question, what is going on? Uh, what are we reading? You guys can throw the title slide up there for the message. Um, this is an interesting passage. I, I read this and my initial reaction is just like, what is going on? We've got Jesus and he's there and a woman comes and she needs help and he rejects her seemingly. He kind of turns her down. He, he doesn't answer her plea. And it's a, it's a rough passage, but I'm determined that we face the challenge of going through it. And, and, and I'm so blessed by what the Lord has shown me as I've studied it. And, and I hope that after we study it tonight that you will be blessed as well. So let's get into it. I've titled the message, Shock and awe, um, or when Jesus responds in a way that doesn't make sense. And my question for you is, have you ever felt confused by God's response or lack of response or shocked about something that you read in the Bible? I think it's a common experience. And so, you know, the question is, what's going on here? Well, we got to go through the background first. During this time, Jesus is exhausted. In chapter 14, his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded. He just fed 5,000 Jewish people on the side of the river, and he walked on water and stopped a storm, and he healed a ton of people in his local town. So, I mean, you would be wiped out with just one of those things. He's wiped out, and so he's looking for a time of retreat and a time of rest. And so you can kind of picture it as, you know, Jesus is holed up in his, his little retreat and the disciples are sort of guarding him, keeping people from disturbing him. And then we have a woman uh, shrieking. This woman comes to him in verse 15, and she cries out and says, Lord, have mercy on me. My, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. And, and what's Jesus' response? He doesn't say a word. It's just, it's fascinating. This is a Gentile lady, but she's heard of Jesus. She knows of his power, and so she's crying out. Why? To be annoying? No. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. Like, if anyone has a right to cry out, it's the lady whose daughter is possessed by a demon. Some of you moms here are like, my daughter is possessed by a demon. No, she's just a teenager. Um, no offense to you teenagers. Uh, anyway, though, um, so how does Jesus respond? He, he doesn't in this moment. It's, it's, it's baffling. 
For some of you, this already kind of hits close to home. Like how many of you have felt just that, that feeling of like you're praying to a brick wall? Like just, you're like, man, God, I've been crying out and pouring out my heart and I'm just getting no response. The question we have here is why? Why doesn't Jesus heal her? Because, I mean, isn't Jesus really all about healing? I mean, why would he turn her down? It, it's strange Jesus choosing not to heal or respond. It messes with our idea of Jesus. Jesus, the, the one who loves and the one who wants to heal, the one who wants to save, why would he not respond? It doesn't really fit his MO at all. Because really, I mean, there's no record of Jesus refusing to heal anyone before this point. And the four gospels constantly portray Jesus as healing all who were brought to him. Even the disciples are wondering. They're like, you know, Lord, she's driving us crazy. This lady's banging on the door. Just give her what she wants. And so does Jesus say, oh yeah, you know, you're right. I was just tired. I was a little overwhelmed. I didn't really want to deal with people today. I'll go help her. No, Jesus actually doubles down on his position of not helping. Look at verse 24. It's a very strange response. She, she pleads with him and his response is, no, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He, this is insane. I mean, Jesus is not only denying to help her, but the reason he's giving is it's a racial and religious reason. Jesus is saying, hey, I came to help the Jews. That's why God sent me. She's not one of them. She's a Canaanite. Now think of the context. Uh, this woman is a Canaanite. And in the high school group, we're studying in the book of Judges right now. And, and the Canaanite people were the sworn enemy of Jesus and, and the Jewish people. Um, throughout their history, like this is like their ISIS. It's, it's, it's the ones that they fought against. In fact, in the book of Judges and Deuteronomy and Joshua, we see the conquest of Canaan. This is what God says about the Canaanites. He says, only in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes, but you shall utterly destroy them. At one time, God actually commanded the Israelites to wipe out the Canaanites. So now it appears to the casual reader that we have Jesus kind of making a statement that's not only cold and dismissive, but refusing to care of someone based on, on their background and what country they come from. Um, Chuck Smith says this, the Jews had very little use for the Gentiles. Some of them declared that God made the Gentiles only to stoke the fires of hell. And it was common for the Jews to call the Gentiles dogs. So just like, hold on, like, hold up. Something doesn't really add up here. This raises the question for us, those of us who love Jesus, those of us who know Jesus, this passage raises some difficult questions. And one of them is, does Jesus reject the Gentiles? Now, how many of you here are Gentiles? That just means you're not Jewish. Okay, so this, this passage has a lot to do with us. Like, this is kind of tricky. So the quote from Jesus seems pretty plain. It just seems like Jesus is saying, nope, can't help her. I was sent only to the Jews. But hold on. Think through the Gospels. Does Jesus reject the Gentiles? Well, no. In Matthew 8, 5 through 13, it shows Jesus healing the servant of a Roman centurion. There's additional stories in the four Gospels of Jesus healing Gentiles. So why would Jesus say this to her? Why would he say, can't help you because you're a Gentile? This reminds me of the feeling that I can get when I watch politicians kind of say one thing and then flip-flop. I mean, is that what Jesus is doing here? Well, friends, appearances can be deceiving. And maybe tonight you feel frustrated because you're imagining what this woman is going through. And maybe you at times feel like Jesus is ignoring you and your problems. But we need to examine the context of the passage. And so we need to look at the motivations of Jesus. Why did he do and say the things that he did? 
Now, Jesus is an amazing character, and when I say character, I don't mean fictional. Jesus is an amazing person. He's the God-man. He's everything that we want to be. He's fully human, and yet fully God. How amazing! Like just, just that could be like a six-week message series. Jesus would get into so many conversations with people, and because he was both human and God, because of his God nature, he would know their thoughts and hearts and feelings, just like he knows us in Inside out. And so many times in conversation, Jesus is playing with a better hand than anyone else at the table. He knows his mission to restore people's relationship to God the Father. And so pretty much everything he does fits that mission. He's always very intentional. And so in the moment, Jesus says something to the lady. She comes to him, Lord, help me, my daughter, help me. And his response is, I've been sent to the Jews. And this was true. But Jesus had some inside information. You see, Jesus had access to the full scope, the big picture of God's plan. Now, just to go through this, to kind of get us all on the same page with where Jesus is at, um, I want to go through just a little diagram that I made. So think of these two intersecting lines as history, okay? And the cross, think of it as the central point of history. The cross is when everything changed. So think back to the beginning. God makes humans, Adam and Eve, and he has this plan for a perfect world with no sin, no problems, and then what happens? A problem. Sin enters the picture. The snake slithers up and tempts Eve, and the whole thing gets thrown off course. But guess what? God has a plan. And so God picks a guy named Abraham and says, Abraham, you are going to be the person who gets this plan going. I'm going to save the world, and I'm going to do it through your family. It's going to be a group of people called the Israelites, and the Messiah, the snake crusher, the savior of the world is going to come from that line. And so at this point in the story, we are now with Jesus. He has arrived, and he has been sent to the Jews. He has been sent to the people of God, the Israelites, but there is a bigger picture at play, and it all changes when the cross hits. And once that happens, what does Jesus say to his disciples? Now go into the rest of Israel and preach only to the Israelites? No. Thank goodness for us Gentiles. He says, all right, now we're at the phase in the plan where we go to the whole world and preach the gospel to the nations. And then we see, this is actually that little picture of that group of people. It's like us. This is where we're at now in history. We are now the church. We're the global multi-ethnic church where we're here to work worship the Lord and point the rest of the world back to the Lord. And then, thank goodness, there's the snake shows up in the story, but it's to be crushed by Jesus. And then the story ends with a new beginning. It's, it's, it's God going back to the plan of perfection, a perfect heaven and a perfect earth. And so you, you see the spectrum of God's plan. And right now in the story, Jesus is saying, hey, the current place, this is what he knows, that we don't know this, the people in the story don't know, but Jesus has the knowledge that the current place of the story is the mission is to the Jews, but the plan is then for the gospel to come to the world. And if you don't believe my silly diagram, look at scripture. We see all throughout scripture the plan of God to rescue and reconcile the world. Uh, Genesis 1.28, it starts with God saying to Adam and Eve, who, by the way, weren't Jews because they didn't exist yet. They weren't anything. They, they literally did not have an ethnicity. They were just people, just humans. Like, what, what race are you? I'm a person. <laughs> 
cool. Um, so God makes them, and, and, and in the beginning, he says, now go into the world and fill the world. Multiply, have kids. I want the world to be filled with people who love me and worship me. The story continues on with Abraham. God says to Abraham, listen, through your family, all the families of the world will be blessed, all the nations. Um, God says to one of Abraham's descendants, Jacob, he says, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. He's not just talking about Israel like producing sweet like grapes and figs. It's a bigger picture. Uh, it, it's, it's the Messiah. Moses says, listen, Israel, if you will listen to God and obey him and keep his covenant, then you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. You'll be my special chosen people. Chosen for what? The people who would point the rest of the world to Yahweh and to Jesus, the Messiah. And he, he goes on in First Chronicles. There's a direction. This is Old Testament style evangelism. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Why? Just to you know spread fame? No, because God wants the nations to know of him so that he can draw the nations to him. And the story of the Bible, the end of the story, is about returning the people of the world, all the world, returning to the Lord. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. Isaiah 2, verse... Uh, Isaiah 2 verses 2 through 3 says, In those last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord and the temple of God, the, the God of Jacob, the God of the Israelites. You see, God's plan has always been to rescue and restore his world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. So as a Gentile, as a fellow Gentile, I'm so thankful for these verses and there are many more. And so we get a glimpse through these verses, through the context of scripture, we get a glimpse into the motivations of Jesus. Now, Jesus is a shepherd and a teacher and he knows where this conversation is going. He knows his plan. His plan is to save the whole world. And yet when she says, Lord, help me, he responds to her request with just the textbook answer. You know, hmm, uh, well, I could save you, but my mission is to the Jews, huh? Uh, Jesus knows what his plan is. And, and I think it's amazing that he doesn't even hint this to her. Um, he doesn't even let her know. He doesn't even dangle that carrot in front of her face, you know, that one day the Messiah will save everyone. He doesn't do that. He just says, hey, it is what it is. He just throws out kind of cold, hard logic there. And yet Jesus knows the heart of this woman. And so the language that he's using is intentional because he's trying to draw something out of her. He's trying to lead her like a shepherd to a place of faith. And it works. Listen to her response. This is what the woman says. So then she comes worshiping. Her response is not to be offended. It's not to say, you won't answer my prayer? Forget you. I'm going to go try another God. She actually worships him. It, 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 what a model for us. God doesn't respond to her prayer in the timing that she would want. And instead of running away, she worships and glorifies the Lord. So she, she says, Lord, just help me. I know you can. And, and he answered, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it away to the little dogs. This is crazy. Like she's, she's relentless. She won't give up. She's like, Lord, I know you can do it. Lord, you're powerful. I worship you. Come on, Jesus, help me out. And, her, and Jesus's response is just like, it sounds so dismissive. He, he's like, yeah, well, you're a dog. It, like, what is going on? This sounds like something Ebenezer Scrooge would say. You know what I mean? Like, please, sir, can we get time off? And he's like, what am I supposed to do? Throw breadcrumbs to the little dogs? Get out of here. Like, that's, that's what it sounds like. And, and you know what? Um, 
dog was actually a common insult that Jews made towards Gentiles. Remember, the Jews hated the Canaanites. They, they were enemies of them. They thought they were firewood for hell. And so dog was kind of this racist ethnic slur in Jesus's day. This is what Chuck Smith says here. The word they used for dog was a reference to the wild, vicious dogs that roamed the countryside attacking people and other animals. So when you talk to a Canaanite and said that Canaanite's a dog, you're saying they're vicious and ruthless and we don't want anything to do with them. So is that what Jesus is saying here? Like, why does he even say it? I I googled this, and the first thing I got was an article about how you shouldn't feed dogs bread. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Like, I don't think Jesus is trying to answer the question, is bread toxic for dogs? Um, Now listen, I'm a big fan that anytime we reach a tough passage in the Bible, we need to look at the original meaning of the original Hebrew or Greek languages. So if you examine that, you will discover that the word that Jesus uses for dog actually translates not as like a savage animal, but it translates better as little puppy or kind of like the beloved family pet. We're not talking about some mutt with rabies. We're talking about the family dog. Now, my parents have a family dog named Reddington. Um, They brought him in to replace me. Um, (laughs) And he is spoiled silly. My parents like think he's human. Like they're like, oh, it's your little brother. I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. Um, They've been like, you know, like I'm like, so should I just feed him dog food when I come to visit? They're like, oh no, that's not good enough for Reddington. We have to give him chicken and cheese and they prepare this chicken and cheese dish. I actually can't even eat chicken at their house anymore because I've seen that it like goes to the dog and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. So, and I'm looking at this dog and I'm just like, man, he has it better than I do. They let him get away with anything. Uh, they actually put him in a little room with a TV hooked up to Netflix where they just stream dog shows to him 24. I'm just kidding. They don't, they don't do that. But how many of you believed it? Um, so anyway, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is talking about the beloved family pet, when, he, when he's looking at this lady and he's calling her a dog, he's saying, hey, I've got kids and, and hey, you're in the house too. You know, you're the family dog, but why should I feed you right now? You see, the motivation of Jesus is he is a rabbi and a teacher, and you have to understand the culture that he comes from. Like here in the West, when we think of a teacher, we think of someone who tells us cold, hard facts. So when we read the verse, we read it with our Western mentality. We think of Jesus just as this cold, like theologian, just, no, I shall not help you. I was sent to the Jews. It's not good to give the kids food to the dogs. Amen. So long. But listen, Jesus doesn't play by our 21st century rules. In the ancient Near East, learning through questions and dialogue was the way to go. And so a teacher would often ask questions or make shocking statements to draw truth out of his pupils. And Jesus does it all the time. Like, picture the scene. The woman begs him, Lord, heal my kid. And Jesus' response is like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, it's not good for the kids at the table to feed the pets. Eh? Like, he's, he's saying this to draw something out. He's looking for faith in the woman. And he's drawing it out with the dialogue. And in the next verses, we see that he finds in her what he was looking for, which is true faith. Let's look at her faithful answer. This is in verses 27 through 28. Then she says, yes, Lord. She doesn't say, you call me a dog? How dare you? No, she says, yeah, if I'm a dog, like watch me bark is what she's saying. And so she says, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She's saying, yeah, I mean, but the dog's in the house and, you know, uh, you're saying don't feed the dog, but the dog's going to eat anyway from the crumbs. Like she's just using her creativity. She's trying to reason with Jesus and that's what he's looking for, that interaction. And so Jesus says to her, Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed. It's just 
It's brilliant. It's, it's this brilliant moment. He, he, he's looking for that faith. That's all he's looking for, that faith to not give up. And, and, and her daughter is healed on the spot. And Jesus is so excited because this is a teacher who succeeded in helping his students see the truth. He's drawing out her faith. And Jesus has a way of pushing people to become the best that they can be. He has a way of drawing faith out of people. He doesn't want to give this away as a freebie. He wants to instead draw this woman to a place where she expresses a great faith that will not only bless her, but everyone around her. And, and faith like that brings glory to God. It says in the Bible that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Did this woman like convince Jesus to heal her through word games? No, it was always Jesus's intention to heal, but he wanted to do it in a way that would bring the most glory to God. So like, do you see, or are, are, are you with me? Like one of the applications I have for you tonight is to tap into the practice of faithful questioning. Now here's what faithful questioning means. When you question someone faithfully, it's not when you're trying to question them to shame them or catch them in a lie or dishonor them or embarrass them. No, faithful questioning is questioning that can only exist in an open, honest love relationship. For instance, I'm right now, I'm planning a missions trip and my wife is going on this missions trip with me. And I've been doing all these details. And I told my wife, hey, I'm going to take care of this so you don't have to worry about it. And she said, thank you. I'm glad. Like that takes a load off of me. But then my wife started asking questions. And at first my flesh was like, why are you asking all these questions. Like, I told you I would handle it. But she expressed to me, like, babe, the reason I'm asking these questions is not because I'm trying to, like, get on your nerves. It's just because I want to be involved in the process. I want to do this with you. Like, I know you're doing the brunt of the work, but let me come alongside you. Maybe I could help. Maybe to have good advice. And, and, and that, that is a picture of faithful questioning in a marriage. And, and Jesus is looking for that kind of relationship, uh, uh, the questioning that a loving father and son and daughter can have with one another. It's one where we're involved in the story. It's not one of just like passive submission, like just like, yeah, God, whatever you want to do. Like that is our heart, God, whatever you want to do. But God welcomes us to be involved in the process. God loves us and he wants us to be in a place where we're asking him questions, be not because we're trying to challenge his authority, not because we're trying to get in his face, but because we want to understand him. God, I'm asking this question because I want to understand you. I want to know your heart. I want to know details about your plan. And then taking his answer in faith. You know, I, I taught Bible class at a Christian school and I went to a Christian school myself. And it's crazy how many kids got A's on Bible class tests, but they now are not walking with Jesus because it never really mattered to them. But you know what? Often the ones whose faith are the strongest now I see are the ones who were asking questions because questions show that you care. I'd much rather have a group of questioners than a bunch of fakers. I think God is the same way. When you have questions about your faith, God wants you to feel the freedom to express them. Don't fear that God will hate you for your questions. God invites you to discover more about him. We're so anti-doubt and question in the American church. And as a youth pastor, I've seen kids who were afraid to ask questions because they were afraid they'd be judged or put down for asking questions. And now their unanswered questions have turned into deep doubts and unbelief. Church, we need to be able to let people express their struggles and not just say, well, God works in mysterious ways, so just shut up and keep moving on. But that's not how we should treat those people. But it is sometimes how we do that. Instead, we need to realize that Jesus welcomes. Like, how did Jesus treat doubting Thomas when Thomas was like, you know, he watched his mentor be crucified. And now Thomas is like, I know you guys are telling me he's back from the dead, but I won't believe it unless I see it. Does Jesus show up and say, Thomas, you doubter, how dare you? No, Jesus shows up and says, Thomas, I love you. 
check out the holes in my hands, man. Here it is. Like God is so willing to wrestle through our doubts with us. And guys, amazing things happen when we choose to let Jesus teach us. When we don't give up in those moments when we don't like his response or when he doesn't respond. When we don't give up, but we continue to wrestle through with him. Amazing things happen. And I think as we wrap up, we see one more amazing thing in this passage. So think about this. Jesus knows his master plan. She doesn't. His plan is save the world. But his, remember the phases. His current phase of the plan is save the Jews so that then they can take the gospel and save the world. And through the leading of Jesus, this woman ends up saying to Jesus, Lord, I know you're saying that the time has not yet come for that part of your plan, but what if you made it that time right now? Like, what if, Lord? What if, right? Like, does that make sense? She's like, Lord, what if you reached into that future plan and pulled out a little something for me? That's awesome. Like, that's her response. Like, Lord, I know I'm just a little house dog, but can you give me what you're giving your kids because you love me too? It's, It's amazing. She's saying, Lord, bring your kingdom into my life right now. The term that many scholars have given it is it's the already and not yet principle. It's asking Jesus to bring the light into the darkness now. And this is really what the Lord's Prayer is all about. And, and, and the woman is actually tapping into an element of the Lord's Prayer. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? He, he said, this is how you should pray. Lord, you know, your, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think about what that statement means. Are we in heaven yet? Are we? No, we're not in heaven yet. But where Jesus is, the kingdom of heaven is. And so... In this strange, paradoxical way, where Jesus shows up, the kingdom shows up. Not fully, it's not fully realized, but it's a glimpse of it. It's, it's there in some tangible form. It's already and not yet. And so she's calling for God to reach into his future kingdom and bring it down in the moment. She's saying, Lord, I know that we're, Lord, she's like, you know, she's looking, she's looking at the diagram. And she's like, Lord, I know that we're here. Uh, oh, I don't know where it went. Uh, Oh, my notes are gone, or my slides are gone. All right, you're just going to have to keep going. So she's looking at it, and she's like, Lord, I know we're here, but what if you reached into that moment and pulled a little bit of it there? What if some of the Gentiles got a blessing right now? And so how does Jesus respond? Does he say, you dare to question my plan? No, he's delighted. Jesus is so excited about his future plan that he's just like, yes, I will do that. Yes, bless your faith. And he reaches into that future reality and he brings that moment into the woman's present. It's, it's, the, yeah, it's the already and the not yet. And so is this our heart? Do we realize that even though we are not yet in heaven, Jesus wants to fill our lives with the heavenlies. Jesus wants us to be so full of that future that when people look at us, they say, man, that's what heaven's all about. I want to go there too. When people look at you, do they see that future that you're moving towards? Do they see it reflected in your life? Do you ask God to do this? Do you ask God ever, Lord, just reach into that perfection and bring a little bit of it down here right now? God, bless my life. Like faith is asking God to do the the impossible and God does not see it as disrespect for us to ask him this. It's not a challenge or an insult. It's saying, Lord, I know you can do this. Please, Lord, bring healing into my life. Lord, I know in heaven I'll have perfect health, but Lord, maybe just... Give me a healing right now because I'm sick. 
Or Lord Jesus, I, I know in, in, in heaven there, there will be no prodigals, but Lord, I've got a prodigal daughter or a prodigal son. Can you just reach into that reality of heaven and just rock my son or daughter's life and world? Show them the glory. Uh, you know, you're looking at the future and you're looking at heaven and it's like, man, in heaven, like there's going to be no broken relationships. And maybe right now you're dealing with a broken marriage or family and you're like, Lord, if you could just reach in to that reality of the future, Lord, can you bless my life with some of that now? Because in heaven, there'll be no sickness, no sin, no broken marriages, no family dysfunction. Everything will be made right. And though God will often allow us to face trials and tells us as Christians that we will face trials, like this is not a prosperity gospel message, like just, you know, believe hard enough and all your dreams will come true. That's not what I'm saying. But I believe that the Father loves to give us a taste in the midst of our suffering of what is in store. It's kind of like getting a little bit of dessert before dinner. Um, it's like you know, having something when it's not quite time yet. It's not time for heaven yet. Like we're not there yet. It's going to be awesome when we are. But listen, God is delighted to sneak us some bites. Are we living for those heavenly moments? Like how do you tap into that? How do you tap into that? Well, the joy that you experience when you serve others sacrificially. Or the rush that you get from sharing your faith. That's a heavenly moment. Those peaceful, quiet moments that you have with your family or loved ones. Just spending time with one another. Or, or an encouraging word that you share with someone. Or someone shares with you and you receive it. Or, or a healing from a sickness. Or a prophetic message from God to you. Are we aware that in those moments it's God's pleasure to bless us with these things? I love how this woman shows us, the readers, how God is all about bringing the not yet into the already. And later on this chapter, as we wrap up, I mean, you can go to the next slide. We see something incredible at the end of this chapter. Um, so the other side of the lake. Let's talk about the other side of the lake. So in the previous chapter, Jesus went to the west side of the lake, and, and he ends up feeding 5,000 Jews and points them to Christ. And after he has this moment with the Gentile woman that we see here in chapter 15, he goes back to the lake, but this time he doesn't go to the west side, he goes to the east side. The Golan Heights, this place called Decapolis, which was not a Jewish area. And great crowds came to reach him, and these were not just Jews, it was a mixed crowd. You've got Jews and Gentiles. So think about what just happened in the past chapter. These Gentiles show up now, and Jesus, I mean, does he say to them, you know what, you guys aren't Jews, so no healing for you, it's not time yet. No, if you read the text, what it says is, he says that he turns to his disciples and he looks at these Gentiles and he's like, I have compassion for these people. And so he heals those who are sick and he feeds 4,000 of them. And it says in the text that when the 4,000 people who were fed saw it, it says they praise the God of Israel. Now, why would it say that if these weren't Gentiles? If you're Israelites, you just say, hey, we praise God. But these are Gentiles. These are people who normally worship false gods, Zeus, Hermes, Baal. I never noticed this before studying this passage. I was always just like, hmm, in chapter 14, he feeds 5,000. And then the same story happens all over again in chapter 15. That's interesting. I don't think it's odd. I think it's God showing us his plan. In chapter 14, he goes to the west side, first to the Jews, and then he reaches into the not yet, because it's not time yet, but he still goes for it. He still reaches in, and he brings some heavenly goodness to the Gentiles. Listen, Jesus loves to do this. He's constantly defying our expectations. And so you can go to the last slide. This is just, as, as I, I have about four minutes left, this is just what I want to say. Guys, why does God want you to pray if he already knows what's going to happen? You ever think about that? Like, why doesn't God just go around and heal everyone that he wants to heal? Like, why is there this process where we wrestle through? 
Listen, it's because God is a father who loves his kids and he wants them to be involved in the process. He wants to collaborate. Think about it. When God made Adam and Eve, put him in the garden, did he say, all right, Adam and Eve, you're set. If you need me, rub the lamp three times. I'll be here. I'm blue. Like that's no, it's not what he says. He says, let's work together. Adam and Eve, I'm putting you in the garden to take care of it. I'm the king. You're under me. Let's collaborate together. Let's work together. And he starts giving Adam and Eve jobs and then they mess everything up. But listen, God through Jesus has made a way where now we can partner with him in our lives. Christianity is so much more than just coming to church and waiting to go to heaven. As we wait to go to heaven, God wants to use our lives to bring the heavenly reality into the lives of everyone around us through loving, through sharing the gospel, through serving. That's what it's all about. Christianity is so much more than just going to church. We're called to be the church. God wants to reach in to that future reality and use our lives to bring life into the death. I was uh, reading a author who was talking about prayer and she said, you know, for her prayer is just kind of like, she just kind of throws it out to God once and like doesn't really think about it. Like she said, you know, it's kind of like I think of it this way, like I have something I want to pray for. So really quickly, I just say, Lord, help me with this. And then I kind of just like put it in like a mental sock drawer and I don't pull it back out until God answers the prayer. And I don't think that's how it's called to work. You see, what Jesus says is ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. And that's what we see in this woman. She comes to the Lord and she, he's, she's like, Lord, heal me. And he's like, mm, maybe not today. And he's thinking, but tomorrow. <laughs> and, but she doesn't know that. But does she give up? No, she wrestles with the Lord, just like Jacob wrestled with Yahweh. She's wrestling with Jesus. She's like, Lord, let's dialogue. Let's talk this out. And he sees that faith and he rewards her. Guys, Jesus is like, he, he's like the dad who he's in the shop fixing the car and he could totally do it himself. He knows what he's doing, but he loves having his kids in there, checking out the car, learning about it and handing him a wrench. Like he, he doesn't need that, but he loves it. That's God with us. And so I want to invite you guys as we pray to just enter into a time where you're saying to God, I want to collaborate with you. I want to work with you, Lord. I want to work with you to... To, to watch you bring some of that future glory into this right now. I want to be a part of that. As we journey to heaven, as we are on that path, we want to light up the way as much as we can because there's people all around us who are looking and they need to see that light. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray and then we'll go into a time of questions. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. I just pray, God, as we get into these small groups, that you would bless this time, that you'd speak to us, and not only that, but you'd speak through us. God, we thank you that you do not only speak through pastors. Thank the Lord that you don't only speak through pastors, Lord. You have given your spirit to the church. And so, God, you can speak through all of us here to one another if we're open to it. God, I pray that you would just open up hearts that people, even if they don't feel like they're necessarily good at speaking, that you would help them, Lord, to have courage that if you give them a word to share during this time, that they'd speak boldly and that they would speak in a way that encourages everyone around them. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to do this in your name. Help, help us, Lord, to grow as a church. We thank you that we can have time to discuss your word and chew on it, Lord. We thank you for that. We love you, Lord, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.